Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you have pen and paper because I'm going to explain to you something that you weren't aware of. It's funny. My question is, Tyler, because I ran into some controversy this week. Yeah, you did. Uh, because for those that don't know, mm-hmm. Tyler and I are also musicians. Badass musicians. Yes. I mean, the best. You guys should know that Tyler is for sure because think, I've been, you know. Don't sell yourself short. Think of all of your favorite musicians and think about what they were like, like six months before they made it big. You're listening to that, right? What the fuck? Anyway. Nice. Uh, <laughs> to make it... Uh, uh, this is an interesting intro to the episode for sure, but I was going to try and make a quick story of this. So... Um, oh, tell uh, it, man. We just talked to... Yeah, yeah. We, we got just time. got off the phone with uh, my buddy Luke, who has been working with me um, on this project I'm doing called MetaHuman. It's it's an album. It's I know him as Midwest Jesus, but that's just me. <laughs> Yes, yes, Midwest Jesus for sure. But um, he came to me with a song that he wrote, and it was a very personal song to him, and I looked at the lyrics. I really liked it a lot, and it was a late addition to the album, but it was something that we recorded this past weekend, um, which is really funny in like his basement. it's It was one of the most musician setups I've ever seen because it was literally my laptop, his computer. It was an auxiliary bunker. Pretty much, yeah, like this one. Um, and you'll actually notice some of the, we use some of the background noise as samples for the songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're listening to the song that we made, which was called Dying Inside, which is up on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, it's all over. Uh, look for MetaHuman in those places and it'll show up. That's how you plug, Tyler. Uh, anyway, <laughs> when we were recording that, some of the vocals you can hear like a rattling in the back. Mm-hmm. That was his like hot water heater. Because we were in this like sectioned off little area where we were trying to make this make different sounds with yeah. the uh, acoustics in the basement and everything, mm-hmm. it was a lot of fun. So we made this song, and I made the mistake of posting it on my my personal it wasn't Facebook. A I'm by the time this goes live, I will have a, a Facebook page for the Meta Human Music. But uh, I'm certain people will be blocked from ever seeing that yeah. shit, buckle. Anyway, we posted the song, and some of his family listened to it and didn't uh, like the lyrics. I was going to say you know who you are, but fuck phrases like that wouldn't listen to something cool. Uh, like well, this. yeah, but they wouldn't. <laughs> and I apologize if I ever spoke, but I'm just basing it off of reactions to something. Yes. I'm, I'm basing it off of uh, completely um, unwarranted, hostile reactions to something more yeah. benign than I can possibly think of. Yeah. And if you um, listen to the song, it's pretty pretty tame. It's not something crazy. It's not something you haven't heard, you know, like it isn't something every, vile or disgusting or, or dirty. Almost every one of my songs has to do with some sort of aspect of my personality or my depression right. or anxiety. And it's very raw and it's very real because write what you know. Right. Now I just can't really write story songs, but I can't imagine if I posted a song that was me literally like uh, the equivalent of taking my clothes off in in downtown <laughs> New York City. Yeah, 
and 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 whatnot, and have some a, a member, somebody, not, a member of my family, no less. Yes, like, somebody I grew me. up with, and just immediately just. I can't imagine, but, and and I feel look, for Tyler. Him, what I, I, what, the the moral of the story is, um, just remember when you do things creatively, be true to what you're making, and, and be true to yourself, and make something that you that you want to watch, and you got you a wanna, reaction. Well, that's true. The best art gets reaction. yeah. If you want to make YouTube videos, you want to Twitch stream or podcast or you know, don't ever. F- let someone tell you what you're doing is dumb. Yeah. And don't ever let someone try and dictate what you want to do. Because you got to do make content. If you're going to make content or do anything creatively, do it for you first above anyone else. Jake has standing orders when we're recording um new album February 23rd. Um <laughs> that if it sounds weird or if it doesn't sound good to say hey that doesn't sound good. It's fine. Yeah. And as long uh, as you criticize me constructively, a, I don't care. There have been a couple of times. No, because here's the thing: is constructively be uh, constructive be damned. Like in Dude, our situation, it, like you said, love it or but, hate it. But if but I mainly get reaction, that's it. That's all right, that matters. But mainly, my my thing is, I know that you know, I know that you're um, that we have a a, a good enough uh, relationship where you can say like, "Dude, that sucks." Sure. Or hey, um, you know what? I like that way better than that way, or whatever. So. It's really important to have that kind of constructive criticism, and and yeah, it's usually constructive. But even if he was like, "Dude, you're you fucking suck," like I still wouldn't take you know. But dude, yeah. just the reactions. Yeah. I had to step up and say like, I don't know what the fuck your people's problem is. I know it's a family thing, so I'm not really gonna get involved. But just my opinion, if you are really this fucking pissed off over something you heard, fucking go back to your fucking Pat Boone fucking sings metal <laughs> records. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's made for people who can't handle art. Right, right, and and Jesus, and again, H. We, I will put a timestamp. If you don't want to hear us talk about this, I will put a timestamp yes. when the actual episode starts. Probably good. so you can just skip to there. Uh, but I just wanted to get that off my chest. It's a little extraneous, I've, but necessary. I've been dealing with unnecessary drama for the last twenty-four hours. Extraneous and necessary are literally antonyms. Okay, that's that's his life, Tyler. So. Thanks for, for the people that sat through that. Thank you so much. And for the people that didn't, welcome to another episode of Tinfoil Radio, episode 54, buddy. That was weak. Uh, <laughs> that was weak? I that almost, was, I that meant was to say, gold. I meant to say that was deep, and uh, I think you said something else, and I was like, what? That was gold, man. That was a beautiful transition. It was fucking gold. Actually, no, that was really if good. If somebody actually listened to the first like six minutes of us bitching, and then that part, they would have been like, wow. What wow. a transition stopped on all over pro. by Tyler Allen. Fucking pro. So number uh, 54, and we said this last week, t- this week we are going to be covering D.B. Cooper. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and if you did your homework like we asked, you would know. Yes, they do mention that in the uh, documentary. Which is, we'll get to it. Yeah. Uh, yes, the documentary you're referring to, so you, if you want, pause right here. After this, the mystery of D.B. Cooper is the documentary that we're going to be referencing a lot. Or go watch News Radio Season 5. <laughs> Almost as good. Yeah. But D.B. Cooper is really interesting uh, because we covered a, a, an unsolved mystery last week, you know, and I just like doing these because they, they do provide a cool little break from what you're used to because you can only take so much QAnon shit and uh, Boy, oh, yeah. Alex I, Jones I, I, bullshit. Uh, yeah. Congratulations on just jumping into the fucking boat with the nutballs, um, you know who, yeah. in Washington. And uh, this is a story, uh, surprisingly enough, 
I did not know much about until like a few years ago. And I totally forgot that D.B. Cooper oh, okay, is, yeah. is in the... Have you seen the movie Without a Paddle? Mm, who's in it? Uh, Seth Green, uh, Dak Shepard, Shepard uh, Matthew I've Lillard. seen uh, that m- that nature movie where they're nature hosts. That show's great. Well, anyway, in that movie, they're looking for D.B. Cooper's oh, okay. And I totally forgot that. But yeah, f- until recently, I didn't know anything about it. So... I w- this was a lot of learning for me as well, like mm-hmm. in the research, because usually when I pick research, I know most of what's go- what the story is. Mm-hmm. This I came in completely blind, and I think it's one of the most interesting unsolved cases. It it happened in American history. Uh, it happened before four years before I was born, uh, almost exactly four years. Um, and uh, so y- you would think, you know, but this has been a a big part of American Americana. Uh, if you will, for for a, since it happened, and the reason why is because there's the element of mystery, there's the element right. of Robin Hood, there's the element of you know outlaw who got away with sure, it type yeah. of thing, and and God damn it, I, I I'll be damned if Americans don't love outlaws. Um, and that's what I love about. And but we'll, we'll talk about it more. But unsolved mysteries with Robert Stack. Oh yeah. When I was a kid, was on and they I, rebooted I, that on Netflix. I yeah, I guarantee you, I haven't watched it, but I guarantee you, we still have no fucking clue where Joe Cooper is. Um, <laughs> uh, that's a little baseball reference, but um, I'm sure they played like a segment of DB Cooper. And I remember when I was a kid, it seemed really sinister to me because yeah. the, the, if you've ever seen the artist rendition, yeah. like the very first one, he looks like a fucking creepy alien dude. Yeah, it kind of looks like a, a Men in Black guy. That's what I thought of. He looks like the dude in heavy metal that turns out to be like a monster. <laughs> I've, n- I've never actually watched. He's that. like a lawyer in the um, Stern. Never mind. Um, getting too deep with that one uh, for everybody, not just you. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about DB Cooper, and it's a really fascinating story. Yeah, and, and I'm glad we got to do it. That's what I love about the HBO documentary is that um, it, it plays up the myth of the story, and and, and you'll get into a lot of how. Something like this can capture the zeitgeist of our country and still kind of has a hold of it. So, last week we covered the American version of the Diet Hall of Pass in this incident, the Yuba County Five, which is a lesser known unsolved mystery. And this week we're covering the most popular American unsolved mystery, the case of D.B. Cooper. Now, Tyler. We're not talking about your dog, Buckle. Tyler, you're going to. Love this because we we talk about this right away because I didn't know this either. The whole Dan Cooper, D.B. Cooper debacle. I forgot to do my research on Dan Dare. I'm sorry. I know what you're talking about, though, because I did see... References. The references, and uh, Marla Cooper brings it up in her testimony. Because Canada is a French-Canadian, French-English-speaking country. That's why it was big in Canada. Dan Dare. Weird. That's why a lot of people speculated he was from... Anyway, let's not get a, get a hit of ourselves. Yeah. Um, case of D.P. Cooper. Tell us about the origins there, pal. Uh, so Dan Cooper is a pseudonym of an unidentified man who hijacked a Boeing 727 aircraft in the United States airspace between Portland and Seattle on the afternoon of November 24th, 1971. Mm-hmm. The man bought the ticket under the alias Dan Cooper, however... Ever, there was a miscommunication with the news, and he's better known as D.B. Cooper. Uh, and which is really interesting. How did that even happen? How does that, yeah, just Dan Cooper, 
Dan Dan Cooper, well, DB Cooper. For our younger for our younger listeners, I don't know why they're Boston. Let's get right <laughs> in in the American Northwest. By the way, um, like completely opposite what of. What do they fucking sound like? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's the opposite what of Boston. What do you sound like in Oregon? I don't fucking. Um, <laughs> what's the opposite of Boston? I hate the Patriots. Okay. Um, no, that is Boston. But for our younger, for our younger viewers, uh, listeners, um, oh. let's let's kind of give an idea. All of you who have been on a plane uh, in your lifetimes will never know what it was like to get on a plane when yeah, DB Cooper got on the plane. That is the most at the time when he did. Story. I don't believe that they had IDs with photos on them. I don't think that they yeah, were required to get a ticket. I don't think identification or driver's yeah. licenses had photos at that no. point. No, because this this period of time, it was so easy to walk up and be like, "Yo, my name is fucking Armin Tamzarian, and I'm heading to Springfield to take over a principal job." Well, uh, yeah, for Seymour Skinner, you know, and they would have been like, "Cool." It's worth noting that in this time, there was an extreme amount of plane hijackings, and most of the time they were. Cubans, Cuban nationals trying to get back home, right? Or people fleeing the country to Cuba, right? And so at this time, it was very common. And you have to think about it too. Is look at the world we live in now. Can you imagine trying to hi- hi- hijack a plane now? Shit. No, that's what I'm saying. Is, is look at and it and a lot. Oops. Of the, a lot of that is 9/11, obviously. But regardless, like there's so much security protocol you have to go get through to get on a plane, right? Now. This, you could just fucking walk in with a bomb, apparently, and just be... Fine. I don't even know if they had, like... I mean, they might have had random bag searches, probably, but... Yeah. Um, where was the flight headed, again? It, it was, was going from Portland, Portland to, Seattle. to Seattle. Okay, so it was a domestic flight, so there probably flight. wouldn't have been any... Yeah, and a 727 is a very small plane. It's there probably wouldn't have been any random bag checks. They probably were just like, do you have anything to check on? And, you know... Are they really going to check on a 30-minute fucking flight, you know? I'm just saying, like, it's... it's. I mean, they do, but I'm just saying, like, but, at that but time... But younger listeners need to understand that part of it, how, how easy it was yeah. to just go... I could have walked up and been like, I'm Santa Claus. Well, and they would have been like, okay, do you have an ID? And I would have had a fake one real easy. Here's another thing to point out, too, of, like, how this only works in this time period, because <laughs> he well, a big part of the story is literally him smoking cigarettes in the airplane. uh uh-huh. Which... Yeah. It's really weird because I grew up. I, I I flew on planes that had ashtrays on them. I don't yeah. I, 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 unless I was very young. I don't think I flew on a plane where you could smoke. Mm. Um, but I definitely was on planes well, I, that had ashtrays. For as long as I've lived, armrest. yeah. For as long as I've lived, cigarettes have never been allowed on airplanes. So it's been banned for a while. As a smoker, I gotta say it's kind of stupid that nobody thought about that before then. Yeah. An enclosed aircraft. Hey, here's a big tube. Big tube with strangers. Do you mind if I smoke? Yeah. No, I... Especially in this plane, it's I very small. I want to be on a ventilator. So he, uh, D.B. Cooper, extorted $200,000 in ransom, which would be the equivalent to $1.26 million in $1 million. 2019. $1 Yeah, it's crazy how much inflation that is. Yeah. And parachuted and to... And how much we make it up. Okay. And he parachuted to an uncertain fate. Despite an extensive manhunt and protracted FBI investigations, the perpetrator has never been located or identified. It remains the only unsolved case of air piracy in commercial aviation history. Think about that. We just told you how that was a common and prevailing thing around that time. And but they always busted pl- these guys. Exactly. Though. They always either busted them or they killed themselves or they got killed in a yeah, shootout. Or, or, or they tried to jump and die. Some, yeah, but... When we, as we get on through the story, you will be amazed if you don't know the story, how 
you'll be amazed at at at, at how unlikely it is that I he survived and how many people have based their lives on the fact that he did and are searching yeah. still. And I, again, I can't tell you enough that you should at this don't want to get too ahead. Well, I, I just say that you really need to check out the HBO documentary because yeah, it yeah. does a great job covering just how insane this really is. Because they uh, they have interviews with the flight attendants and the the, ca- the pilot and co-pilot about the whole thing too. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, so okay, uh, hijacking on the on the eve of Thanksgiving, November twenty fourth, nineteen seventy one, DB entered the Northwest uh, Orient Airlines at Portland International Airport. He was carrying a black attache case, approached the flight counter, and purchased a one-way flight on Flight 305, a 30-minute trip north Excuse me, to Seattle. I, I took it away from the omnidirectional mic. Cooper boarded the aircraft, uh, aircraft, a Boeing 727, and took 18, seat 18C, or 18E according to one, or 15D by another, in the rear of the passenger cabin. Now... Where, where did you where did you get I know a lot of times when you're researching stuff you like uh, copy and paste like um, I'm sure that they have records uh, the airline has records of where he actually sat but here's the thing it wouldn't surprise me at all if they didn't yeah yeah because of the secu- again. it wouldn't surprise me at all that, if they were like again, dude you know what I think he was in that one well I that, think he was in that that's one the thing that is so fucking unheard of now with air travel oh, because yeah. you have the precise seat you're supposed to be in on your ticket yeah so there's no way they could fuck that up now mm-hmm. and and I agree with you I totally believe this because of how lax security was for and airplanes. do yourself a favor Google some sociological experiments on uh, people's memory like witnesses. And yeah. you will you will realize that witnesses reliable. are almost always unreliable. We'll get to that. Okay. Uh, DB had black hair, a black suit, and tie. He was quiet and ordered a bourbon and soda. You've probably seen the first police sketch at some point in your yes. life. He, he looks like... Uh, a, he looks creepy. He looks he just, like an alien from outer space yeah, trying to be a human. With sunglasses in some of like them. Like a wig. Mm. Um, shortly after takeoff he got the attention of the flight attendant Florence Florence Schaffner he handed her a note which she assumed was his phone number story has it that she just threw it in her purse Cooper leaned toward her and whispered miss you'd better look at that note I have a bomb after yeah right I may have messed up some of this uh, because that that yes that's true that happened but that's fucking crazy because she's like Here's a bomb. So I I think that somewhere along the line I got mixed up mm. because there's two women that we'll be, we'll be talking about here and yeah. um uh, Mucklow t- uh, Tina Mucklow she is interviewed in the HBO I see documentary you down there, there okay well, well where they say that it was Sha- uh, Schaffner, Schaffner yeah. Mucklow is describing this story that sh- it happened to her so. So just be aware that that may be yeah, but depends. The point is, it's the same. Th- if you watch the documentary, it is the same situ- same scenario. I just think the names After got mixed up. After the lady read the note, DB asked her to sit next to him. You could just yeah. She did as requested. As the flight attendant, the, the flight attendant did as requested. Then quietly asked to see the bomb. Cooper opened his briefcase long enough for her to glimpse eight red cylinders, four on top of four, attached to wires coated with red insulation and a large cylindrical battery. Which, again, that's fucking wild. That's, I love how it was long enough to see. That was a long fucking time. <laughs> but just, and again, uh, they do like reenactments in the, in the dock. Okay, I gotta watch it. And, uh, 
I didn't watch it, and not because I didn't care, because I know so much about this just personally. I don't need it. I, I yeah. want to watch it now, though, because I want to see it's this re- It's really good. Oh, the reenactments are brilliant. I love it. It's so, it's, it's a really good doc, but they, they show him mm-hmm. presenting it, and, and the idea of... Oh, God. So he basically... It keeps had sounding a, erotic. He, he was presenting a, it. He had a suitcase basically full of, like, eight Chinese firecrackers. Like, like yeah, really high It looked like a big, ones. like, calculator timer thing attached to two sticks of dynamite, like pretty much. Like a fucking schmuck nose. Like a but again, like imagine you go into work and you're like, like, hey, man. But yeah, I would be scared. I, I, I don't you know, mean to imagine this. shame. You, you walk in and you're that, like... That would suck. Dude, easy flight. I go home. Whatever. You get on this, and then the next thing you know, you're just trying to take a 30-minute flight home and just be done with your day, and then this fucking dick is just like, hey, I got a bomb. After closing, yeah, and and this is what happened. After closing the briefcase, uh, after he made her sit down, um, he stated his demands. $200,000 in, quote, a negotiable American currency, four parachutes, two primary, two reserve, and a fuel truck standing by in Seattle to refuel the aircraft upon arrival. Schaffner... Uh, the flight attendant conveyed Cooper's instructions Schaffner to the, or Mucklow. Whoever. To the pilots in the cockpit. When she returned, Cooper were wear, was wearing Go get yourself that deep sunglasses. So he looked like a member of the Men nice. in Black. Check it's, it out. <laughs> we did not plan that. Yeah, we did. In our no, mind. We didn't. Telepathically. <laughs> the pilot. But yeah, he looked like a, like a member of the Men in Black. Yeah. And the sketch is this is the problem. He sounds like the most generic-looking white guy on the planet. <laughs> but here's the thing: is there's there's a um, there's people with a little bit of a receding hairline. There are people and there are groups and there are, you know uh, organizations that have that have done a extensive research and made it so that they can tell somebody like they can instruct people how to not be seen in public, like to be so fucking bland and generic right. that nobody would ever remember you robbing a bank or anything. Yeah. And it sounds to me the guy was a white guy with black hair probably in the style at the time. A uh, unshaved or completely hairline. shaved, right? No beard. Kind of a big forehead. And a black suit. A black tie. Generic. At that time, man, dudes wore suits. Nobody wore t-shirts. Unless you were a dirty, rotten hippie. You fucking dirty hippie. <laughs> the pilot, William A. Scott, who had served in the United States Army Air Forces during World War II, contacted Seattle-Tacoma Airport Air Traffic Control, which informed local and federal authorities. So I want to point out, they interview him in the, the documentary. Mm. Sweetest old man. Mm. And uh, his way of d- um, to, to make up a story to not tip off the flight attendants, mm. before he said it in the interview, he goes... Well, I gotta be honest. My parents told me not to fib, but and then explains. I was like, "You are the sweetest old man." Will you be my grandpa? And he actually gets emotional when they talk about when they finally landed the plane after DB jumped off, and it's like, yeah, yeah, you can tell. Hey, whoa, way to give it away, asshole! What the fuck? Ah, uh, what? Anyway, God, sorry, I don't even want to. Sorry, this. I try to give some fucking insight, guys. The thir- <laughs> You could have just said after the plane landed. I'm just saying. But it's okay. Because honestly, if you really don't know anything about no, this... we jumped out of the plane. We already established that. Did we? Yeah. Well, okay. Why else would he get parachutes? We hadn't gotten to that part yet. Yeah, it doesn't it matter. Really, just, just, you know what? Skip it. God. The 35 other passengers <laughs> were given false information that their arrival in Seattle would be delayed because of a, quote, minor mechanical difficulty. This is because... Uh, the flight attendant. Well, they didn't want him to panic. Well, yeah, and the Duh. flight attendant, he explains that 
um, they have the light in the cockpit. And if it goes off once, it's not. It's like it's just a normal thing. It's usually like, "Hey, do you want a cup of coffee? Do you need anything?" And if it goes off flashing like it did, that means it's something serious. It is an emergency. And so then he made up the story. They of probably the, did have uh, preset signals on we're getting hijacked at this time in oh probably in history. Yeah, yeah. So uh, most people working on planes yeah. were like, "Oh, you know this fucking thing is happening again. God damn it!" So yeah, William Scott. <laughs> That's thinking on his feet. Said, "I got to make up a lie." Did they get it? Wait, hold on. Stop. I need to flip. Stop. That's the one, right? Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> the Why aren't they opening the door? Northwest Orient's president. I hope no one has a dog or right <laughs> listening to this. <laughs> Donald Nyrup. Okay. Authorized payment of the ransom and ordered all employees to cooperate fully with the hijackers' demands. The aircraft circled Puget Sound for approximately two hours to allow Seattle police and the FBI sufficient time to assemble Cooper's parachutes and ransom money and to mobilize emergency personnel. Uh, I'm pretty sure that after the 45-minute mark that most people on the plane were like, something's wrong. Well, and they, were, they knew they had a huge race against time. It's like an action movie because it's a 30-minute flight. So, you know, they only have so much time to get there, and the the way that they were described is that one of the FBI guys that they Bill interviewed... Scott is just a pilot for Northwest Airlines. <laughs> hey, honey, I'll Dude, see you it's later. Fucking, it's fucking speed. Hey, honey, we're I'll see... racing a plane. Hey, honey, I'll see you later. But he had no idea what awaited him at work that day. Uh, so, uh, we done with the pre-flight check? Yeah, we're done, Bill. <laughs> it's speed, like, three or four or whatever, but it's a speed movie. You're literally chasing a plane. Can Captain Scott make it through the flight? I'm telling you, he's gonna blow! What's your name again? D.B. Cooper. It's Dan Cooper, bitch. Oh, yeah, you're right. My bad. <laughs> okay, so... Um, <laughs> I was gonna point something that was out. Fun. What? I, oh. No, uh, no in the, the guy that one of the guys interviewed the documentary, it was literally like... So he one guy burst into his office, his CO, and was like, "You're driving me to Seattle. We gotta go." And they just fucking took off. So the whole thing is like this huge, big police uh, convoy. Yeah, I trying imagine to get to uh, Seattle. the end of Blues Brothers, but on the way to Seattle. Pretty much. I'm. Ne- I still haven't watched that movie. I'm sorry. You seem like a hijacker. <laughs> you know. You just seem really horny. Yeah, the bomb is my cock. Okay, uh, looks like <laughs> <laughs> at one point he remarked, "Quote: Looks like Tacoma down there." <laughs> we're just gonna, <laughs> we're just gonna move right past that. As the aircraft flew above it, no, that was funny as shit. That was funny as shit. Looks like Tacoma down there. What dry? <laughs> he also correctly men- mentioned <laughs> that McCord Air Force Base was only a twenty-minute drive at that time from Seattle Tacoma Airport. Schaffner described him as calm, polite, and well-spoken, well, not at all consistent with the stereotypes popularly associated with air piracy at the time. And these stereotypes are enraged, hardened criminals, or take me to Cuba, political dissidents. Yep. And uh, they show clips of her doing a press conference saying those things. Of, yeah, so those are, yeah, she said he was actually very polite and really nice. And, you know, despite the fact that he's trying to kill us with a bomb, cool dude. <laughs> you know, except for the fact that he was trying to blow all of us up, like, I, I, 
would have, I would have gone on a date with him. I mean, yeah, I might have got a drink with him. You know, I'm kind of sorry it wasn't his you know phone what? number. I might have let him go in the back door. I don't know. <laughs> That's her saying that, not me. <laughs> according to Mucklow and Schaffner, according mm. to to the ladies, I mean, yeah, whatever. The flight attendants, according to the females on that board, talked to TV Cooper. <laughs> He was polite and very calm. He ordered another bourbon and soda and e- even offered to tip Mucklow for the drinks. Hey, baby, I'm about to get 200 large up in this bitch. You want a couple of dollars? Buy yourself something nice. Buy yourself something nice. Why, Why is D.B. Cooper and Jesse Ventura? <laughs> because. I feel like they know who that motherfucker would be. Because. <laughs> hey. I am Je- Jesse Listen, Ventura playing Who else D. do you Cooper? think is going to survive a fucking full... Parachute out. Okay. A, tyra- a sexual <laughs> tyrannosaurus like me. Yeah. 200 G's in my ding-a-ling. You, get, you want it, you got it. <laughs> so FBI agents <laughs> FBI agents assembled the ransom money from several Seattle area banks. 10,000 unmarked $20 bills. Most with serial numbers beginning with the letter L, indicating issuance by the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, and most from the 1963A or 1969 series, and made a microfilm photograph of each of them. <clears throat> so yeah, they were going to, like, that's another thing that gets me about that, is he had to have known that they were going to mark the bills. Steve Curtis was just a guy who worked at the Reserve Bank. Hey, honey, I'm going to work. He had no idea what was oh waiting for God, him I at work. I got to microfilm each fucking one of these fucking things. He's <laughs> being hijacked again. <laughs> Can he make it through the day? I'm telling you, I don't have enough printer ink. Tyler, for making this movie, Jesse Ventura is fucking D.B. Cooper. Right, right okay, okay, okay. Can uh, the dude that's working at the Federal Reserve be like Ray Romano? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Debra! 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 Mark Bills, Debra! What do they take? No, he's going to be Seinfeld. What do they take me for that I can photograph? No, I can't do it. Fuck it. <laughs> what are you doing? It's Arnold. Why do you think I can microfilm each one of these bills? Have you seen my hands? are like skillets. <laughs> my calves are like hams. We got to stop. Somebody's already turned it off. Cooper. That's Cooper. pretty tough. I got to be I got to be honest. Um, I'm willing to bet that most of our longtime listeners thrive on this type of shit because it's what makes our show different. Because we're hilarious. <laughs> Cooper rejected the military issue parachutes offered by McCord AFB personnel, no, thanks, instead Bucko. demanding civilian parachutes with manually operated rip cords. Seattle police obtained them from a local skydiving school. <laughs> right after, right before, the, right afterwards, they. Right afterwards, they stabbed the parachutes full of holes. Good luck, and, uh, son of a bitch. Good luck, motherfucker. Yeah, um, so if you could already tell at this point, this is such a fucking wild story. It's, it's, and it's, it's crazy how common this was at the time, the, the hijacking of planes. Like it, sh- it should not be this easy, but alas. Yeah. So, the story continues. At 5.24 p.m. Central Standard Time. No, it's Pacific Standard Time. Fuck! It's on the West Coast. Cooper was... (laughs) (laughs) Usually when I do a story out of the Pacific Northwest, I like to use Central Standard Time to fuck myself up. It's two hours off of what really... So I'm just just lost. I'm two hours in the future. I didn't have my job very long. (laughs) Cooper... (laughs) 
Now I'm a janitor. Cooper was informed that his demands had been met, and at 5.39 p.m., the aircraft landed at Seattle-Tacoma Airport. It was more than an hour after sunset, and Cooper instructed Scott to taxi the jet... Jet. The jet. The jet. (laughs) To taxi the jet to an isolated, brightly lit section of the apron and close each window shade in the cabin to deter police snipers. Should have done that before you landed a little bit. (laughs) Northwest Orient. No, that's why I brought this spray paint can because it's the 1970s. You can bring whatever the fuck you want on an airplane. <laughs> yeah. Do you mind if I bring my collection of guns? No. <laughs> no North- problem. Shoot hey, up the cool. place. Hey, as long as there's room in the overhead bins. You, just remember, if you put a hole in it, put some duct tape over it. You have duct tape. Northwest Orient. We provide that. Northwest Orient. Seattle operations manager Al Lee. Come on, really. Al Lee. <laughs> Approached the aircraft in street clothes to avoid the possibility that Cooper might mistake his airline uniform for that of a police officer. He delivered the cash-filled knapsack and parachutes to Mucklow via the aft stairs. Once the delivery was completed, Cooper ordered all passengers and the flight crew to leave the plane. (laughs) I'm not going to read her name. That's just another name that just confuses us. (laughs) During refueling, Cooper outlined his flight plan to the cockpit crew. A southeast course toward Mexico City at the minimum airspeed possible without stalling the aircraft, approximately 100 knots. At a maximum, 10,000 foot altitude. He further specified that the landing gear remained deployed uh, in the takeoff landing position, the wing flaps be lowered 15 degrees, and the cabin remain unpressurized. Co-pilot William J. Radizak born 1939, who formerly served for the United States Air Force during the Korean War and Vietnam War, informed Cooper that the aircraft's range was limited to approximately 1,000 miles under specified flight configuration, which meant that a second refueling would be necessary before entering Mexico. Cooper, uh, l- let's let's kind of make this clear yeah. that uh, there are a couple of clues here that uh, FBI would look at later, and one of them was... How he knew all of this stuff, how he knew to yeah. refuse the military ones and get civilian ones, how he knew to that 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 the uh, uh, that Air Force base was there, yeah. how he, he clearly knew planned this to have these time. things. He he must have had some sort of Air Force, right? Which makes it even more crazy that they still can't figure out who he was because yeah. they did take meticulous records in the military well, forever. They I have. I have a theory about this, oh, God. and we'll get to that later. Oh God. But uh, yeah, it's crazy because he it, to me it, it points to where he has to have some sort of aviation knowledge, right, or military knowledge. <laughs> it just that seems to make the most sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, uh, an inexperienced guy would have been like, "How slow can we fly without like dropping out of the sky?" And they would have been like five hundred knots. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna want the uh, landing gear in the takeoff and landing position because uh, the whole way. Well, we can't do that because guess what? If the those things, the plane automatically shuts up. <laughs> this guy's an idiot. No, he probably had he specific be, instructions, would, yeah. and they were like, "What? He wants he the wing flaps fifteen degrees? What? He probably took years of research to figure this out." I'm willing to bet he had Air Force. Yeah, absolutely. Experience. I think, or at the very least, aviation. which is why, again, it's amazing to me they still can't or, figure out who it or, is. Or he could be an ex-pilot. I mean, that, but but the paratrooper knowledge, you're right. I feel like he would have to be a paratrooper and know how to drop into battle 
and know how to do that. So and I think you might thing, be honest. He, he clearly was probably either Canadian or American for one big reason, and that is he didn't speak with any accent that was noticed. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hard for me to believe. And, and and the guy was white, so he probably was from America or um, Canada, where yeah. they speak like you know. I have no doubts American that he English, is American. Yeah, and, and I definitely believe he served. But I'll ex- and I'll explain so, to you. But but who's to say he wasn't like a mercenary pilot, you know, somewhere else or something? You know, I mean, anyway, who knows? That, again, I don't hear your bullshit theory. That's the fun of this this topic because you just don't know. Cooper and the crew discussed options and agreed on Reno, Nevada, as a refueling stop. With the plane's rear exit door open and its staircase extended, Cooper directed the pilot to take off. Take off, eh? Northwest Home Office objected on grounds that it was unsafe to take off with the aft staircase up deployed. Cooper countered that it was indeed safe, but he would not argue the point. He would lower it once they were airborne. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. What? What? And this was back when they had staircases in the aft. Yeah. Back in the day. Back in the day when I was a teenager, before I had status and before I had a pager, listening to him. Hey, come An on FAA official requested a face-to-face meeting with Cooper aboard the aircraft, which was denied. Denied. Uh, nope, no chance, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, he's asking for it. Hey, can I get clearance for this? No, an FAA official requested to meet with him. Oh, and he said no. No fucking way. Get out of here, dickwad. <laughs> You know who I am? D and <laughs> Dan, Dan Cooper. Cooper. I'll fucking knock you in the next Tuesday. Matt Damon. At approximately <laughs> 7.40 p.m. <laughs> that's, the g- that's the pilot. Uh, DB Co- Dan Cooper is now um, a guy who sounds like Jesse Ventura, but also acts like Matt Damon in Team America. <laughs> Figure it out, Hollywood. No fucking way, Dan <laughs> Cooper. <laughs> At approximately 7.40 p.m., the Boeing 727 took off with only five people on board. Cooper, Pilot Scott, Flight Attendant Mucklow, co- Co-Pilot Ratizak, and a sexy doctor named Harold E. Anderson. Two F-106 fighter aircraft... Was a flight engineer, let's be clear. It wasn't a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> We're scrambled... From McCord Air Force Base and followed behind the airliner, one above it and one below, out of Cooper's view. Oh, yeah, they were prepared. Uh, how much do we give a shit about the other four people on that flight? None? Great. Uh, yeah, fire away. Let it go. The fire light is green. The fire light is green. The fire light is green. <laughs> and I'm blowing you out of the sky. A lucky. That's, a <laughs> That's the, like... That's the song. That is the out of Dan Cooper. Yeah, that's the song for the movie. That's like the kiss for the kiss from a rose for the movie. Baby, I'm gonna blow your fucking plane out of the sky, motherfucker. Did you know the firelight? Did you know the firelight's green? I'm gonna blow your fucking ass. All right, again, somebody has turned it off at this point. No, they're recording this for posterity. Hey, what's up, Henry? (coughs) We're in the auxiliary bunker where. uh, where uh, my stepson uh, Henry is uh, hanging out playing video games. You let people visit the auxiliary bunker? Well, you know, he kind of lives here. So yeah. yeah. It happens. Right. 
So a Lockheed uh, T-33 trainer diverted from an unrelated Air National Guard mission also shadowed the 727 before running low on fuel and turning back near the Oregon-California state line. Overall, there were five planes in total trailing the hijacked plane. None of the pilots saw him jump or could pinpoint a location where he could have landed. Yeah, think about that. Think about that. Think about it. Uh, After takeoff, Cooper told... Uh, one of the chi- ladies. Well, I, I think Mucklow was the sure, one. Mucklow joined the rest that of the actually crew talked to him in the cockpit and remained there with the door closed. As she complied, Mucklow observed Cooper tying something around his waist. At approximately 8 p.m., a warning light flashed in the cockpit, indicating that the air- aft air stair air stair soup apparatus. A lot of A's. Aft air stair apparatus <laughs> had been activated. The crew's offer of assistance via the in- aircraft's Intercom system was currently refused. No way, bucko. Go to hell, you bastards. I'm jumping and you ain't stopping me. <laughs> the crew, in the most dumbest way possible. Yeah, I'm going to run down these steps and jump off like a diving board at a pool. <laughs> Cowabunga. <laughs> the, ca- <laughs> the crew soon noticed... Cannonball! <laughs> the crew soon noticed a... Uh, put the mic down. The crew soon... <laughs> the crew soon noticed a subjective change of air pressure indicating that the aft door was open. At approximately 8.13 p.m., the aircraft's tail section sustained a sudden upward movement large enough to require trimming to bring the plane back to level flight. At approximately 10.15 p.m., the aircraft's aft air stair was still deployed when Scott and Radizak landed the 727 at Reno Airport. FBI agents, state troopers, sheriff's deputies, and Reno police surrounded the jet as it had not yet been determined with serpentine. With serpentine. (laughs) With certainty that Cooper was no longer aboard, but an armed search quickly confirmed his absence. I got a gun. Is anybody in there? No No fucking way. You don't don't fucking say shit, Buckle. You don't say shit. I'm saying he didn't jump. Listen, these $200,000 are noisy motherfuckers. (laughs) Shut up. What's your name? I used to be a president. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> so now uh, we're going to move on to probably the most. Now that that whole. In case you're uh, not aware, did did you uh, did you get to research the part about how unlikely it is that he survived when when they assume that he jumped well, out? Yeah, I because of the terrain and stuff. The did terrain, you, is that in here? Uh, no, because oh. uh, we kind of uh-huh. just jumped to the suspects. Uh-huh. Um, but. Yeah, the, the weather conditions were terrible, and is that it was a night jump first of all. Secondly, which I, he did not have the equipment for. Yeah, and I re, if I remember correctly, uh, there was it rain. was raining. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. There was a storm. It was over a heavily wooded area mm-hmm. uh, in the Pacific Northwest that would have been impossible to land in yeah. with a parachute. Yeah, and, and they demonstrated it without too without breaking something. Well, yeah, and they also demonstrated. How easy it would be to get lost in oh, those yeah. woods because the trees are so tall. If he survives the parachute, he dies of exposure. Yeah, because these, you, you know, if anybody's seen any, been to Oregon or, or Washington, mm. <coughs> excuse me, or really the Pacific Northwest, as we've been talking about, you'll see nothing but gigantic trees. Yeah. Extremely tall trees. Do you uh, touch upon. Um, so it's, it's possible he got, like, there's so many things. He could have he right. made it. And he could have landed, but he the money he washed have, yeah. up uh, went in the stream and washed up. Do you touch on that? No. Okay. Well, they 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 found some of the money, but not all of it. And there have been in 1980. People, there have been people who are treasure. Watch hunters. the documentary. They cover it. Uh, yeah, there have pe- been people who are treasure hunters who uh, regularly 
go up that way and, you know, are still trying to find D.B. Cooper's money because they believe that he didn't survive. Like, it's it's almost a certainty that he died in the jump. Yeah, that is one of the most... That is the most um, widely viewed theory. The biggest mystery didn't make the land. Is they've never found his remains. They found some of the money, but not all of it. They never found even a trace of his parachutes. Yeah. Or anything, any trace of him whatsoever. They didn't have DNA testing at the time. Like not even a dead body. Yeah. They couldn't even. I mean, nothing. Well, and it wasn't until later when they and they still don't know who he was. Well, it wasn't until much later when they used cigarettes to try and get finger. Because they didn't have DNA testing at the time, and so they tried to get his cigarettes. And he probably smoked a certain brand too, and he he smoked free like he was chain smoking them too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's the interesting thing too. If you if you believe the idea that he made the jump, mm. or even if he did, or, or no, he died. Say he dies in the trees or something, his body would have rotted and fallen down the, through the the trees. You'd think, right? Or could have been devoured by animals. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, the the odds of survival after he left the plane are almost none. Yeah. Um, he say he does survive the jump. Okay, well he's probably not going to survive the night because it's he's going to die of exposure. It was it was November in the Pacific Northwest and rain. Yeah. That's almost fucking snow, you know. Yeah, yeah. So okay, survive. Say he does survive exposure. Well, He's probably eaten by an animal. Say he survives all that shit. How the fuck would he know where he is? Yeah. And all how, that why didn't he ever rec- he never recover the cash? Well, not well, they found part of it. They didn't yeah, but exactly. It. But there's still I mean, there's still unanswered questions. That's, still That's the big mystery of DB Cooper. The, is who was he? The belief is that he also there's another belief that he landed if he did land, he landed it's you know a ways away from the money. Because the money landed somewhere else and went into a stream and got dumped out from the stream where they found it eventually in 1980. Now, I don't know why it would have taken that long to actually find it. Maybe yeah. it's maybe because of weather conditions. Because I think they said it, 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 was, it, was, it, it was buried, right? A little bit, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I'm not sure. S- or there was something that they said that they didn't think that animals... Mani- they, they feel like animals found it. It kind of like buried it and didn't really do anything with it because it wasn't food, you know. So I'm thinking that is uh, probably what uh, what happened. But if you want to believe that theory, and I I do apologize, I kind of brushed over the investigation part um, because I mostly wanted to get to the, the characters that are the su- the whole suspect thing. And in the documentary uh, on HBO. It also does this as well. It it, do, it focuses a lot on the investigation and the hijacking itself, but a good portion of the movie, I would say half to 60% of the movie, is them interviewing people about the different su- uh, suspects. And that, I think, is the most entertaining and interesting part of the story. Yeah. Because no matter who they talk to, and no matter who you interview, everybody believes with some sort of certainty that the person that they were talking about is D.B. Cooper because they want to be a part of that story. And, and, the and, other, and yeah. honestly, I believe one thing... Ha- I, I, I've been going back and forth. I, I think I know what really happened. Here's, I'll have my theory at the end of the show. Why don't you read the long list of suspects? Sure. Between 1971 and 2016... By the way, they uh, closed the case in 2016 because they, just, they couldn't find it. So 
Between 1971 and 2016, the FBI interviewed thousands of suspects they, they deemed, quote, serious. So this is just a handful of the most prominent ones. Uh, these suspects are also included in the HBO documentary, The Mystery of D.B. Cooper. There's also a few that aren't in there that I thought were really interesting. So first up, I want to talk about Kenneth Peter Christensen. So in 2003, Minnesotan Lyle Christensen watched a TV doc about Cooper. He was convinced that it was his brother, Kenneth. Lyle was so convinced, he tried multiple times to get the attention of the FBI and then the author and film director, Nora Ephron. Is there, hey, is there any chance you can make a movie about my brother having a, um, a, uh, an orgasm well, in a deli in that New she, York? It was important to note that he was trying to uh, make a movie about it. But that's what I'm saying. I, I know, but that's just so funny that he, he's like, all right, look, buddy, I tried the FBI multiple times. They don't fucking buy it. You're trying to make a movie picture. You're a movie maker. You're a, you're a filmmaker. I'll bet you got more clout than the FBI. <laughs> Come on. You Hollywood guys know more you're about that. You're married to fucking Nicholas Pelleggi. <laughs> I, know, I know that you know. Don't pretend you don't, bucko. I know the studio. You know Spielberg. Turn it into an E.T. movie. My <laughs> brother was an Oh, alien. my God. E.T. is actually the D.B. Cooper story. So, nope. uh, suckers. Eventually, Lyle hired. Hi- I'm gonna try that over again. La-ha. Lyle. Eventually, Lyle hired a private detective. Yeah, he did. In 2010, the PI named Skip Porteous. I'm gonna call him that. That's or, real I'm gonna call him Portis. Uh, published a book postulating that Christensen was in fact the hijacker. The following year, an episode of the History series, which again, what happened to you, History Channel? History series. Brad Meltzer's Decoded also summarized the circumstantial evidence linking Christensen to the Cooper case. Christensen enlisted in the Army in 1944 and was trained as a paratrooper. Paratrooper training? <laughs> paratrooper training. I'm listening off the... Keep going. Yeah, I know. The The war had... Oh, you're listening off how he could be DB Cooper. Gotcha. Ugh. Gotcha. I know what you're doing. I'm, I'm sorry. Fuck, the Christensen... <laughs> The uh, the war had ended by the time he was deployed in 1945, but he had made occasional training jumps while stationed in Japan with occasional forces in the late 40s. After leaving the Army, he joined Northwest Orient in 1954 as a mechanic in the South Pacific and subsequently became a flight attendant and then a purser based in Seattle. Familiarity with the... Inner workings of an airline and planes. He was a mechanic. Well, and also the area. So So he probably knew what a plane could handle. What? Yeah. Christensen was forty-five years old. Forty-five years old at the time of the hijacking. So he was, you know, kind of, sort of, was out of the age range. But he was shorter, five foot eight inches, and thinner, one hundred fifty pounds lighter, and uh, he had lighter complexion. Oh. Lighter complected eyewitness description. So he's a little bit wider. He's definitely not as, you know, he's bigger or he's smaller. He's shorter. So eh, maybe not what they're thinking. So Christensen smoked. But we talked about the unreliability of witnesses. Right. So. Because they, it, you'll, yeah, you'll. So that, I don't. That'll come up a lot. To be honest, the physical description that he doesn't match the phys- I don't really care about that. Because you're also, that's also. So far, I'm fucking sold, man. It's also hearsay. So far, I'm, s- what? Like. The, well, I'm saying the witness. Oh, his description. Yeah, yeah. His height, right, his but they weight. They had photos. They had security sure. photos and stuff. I'm saying, 
I'm sold so far. So Christensen prove smoked. me wrong. No. Christensen smoked, which so did everybody at the time. Doesn't. <laughs> smoked, as did the hijacker, and displayed a particular fondness for bourbon. The drink Cooper had requested, if you remember, bourbon and soda. He applied, uh, or he was also left-handed, and evidence photos of Cooper's black tie show the tit, the clip attached. The t- <laughs> they show that the the house some awesome tits. Yeah, buddy. It's pretty much saying that the way it was tied had to be someone with a left hand. One of the flight attendants. I'm gonna skip that sentence. And yeah, tell you just what fuck that. <laughs> The flight attendant told a reporter that photos of Christensen fit her memory of the hijacker's appearance more closely than those of other suspects she had been shown, but could not conclusively identify him. Kenneth allegedly bought a house with cash a few months after the hijacking. While dying of cancer in 1994, Kenneth told his brother Lyle, there's something you should know, but I cannot tell you. Lyle, I don't think, I think your brother did say that, but I don't think this is what he meant. (laughs) I don't know him, but I feel like that's not what he meant. So liar, Lyle, uh, Lyle was a liar and never got to hear what Kenneth wanted to say. After Christensen's death, family members discovered gold coins and a valuable stamp collection along with over $200,000 in bank accounts. They also found a folder of Northwest Orient News clippings, which began from the time he was hired in the 1950s and stopped just before the date of the hijacking. Although hi- although the hijacking was by far the most momentous news event in the airline's history, so, you know, hard to say about that, Christensen uh, continued to work part-time for the airline for many years after 1971, but apparently never clipped another Northwest news story. My fucking scissors broke, goddammit. Also, fuck off, this is the D.B. Cooper story. Everybody was talking about this shit at the time, so obviously they're going to share news clippings because they want to say, like, this is what. It, where were you when you fucking heard about DB Cooper? You know, I'm, I guarantee people have that for 9/11 and like crazy, like World War II clippings, and people like to document that shit, right? So years See, later, it doesn't even it doesn't even fucking say like what exactly. Ooh, Anna Gunn is in this one. Damn. <laughs> it doesn't even say like what the actual articles were about. At all. Right. They just say that they had a bunch of clippings and they stopped around the time of the hijacking. How do we know that they were from... Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So later the internet took to the case. They... they, I meant to say the... The internet sleuths found out that Kenneth actually didn't buy his house with cash. He had a mortgage on it and it took 17 years to pay it off. (laughs) Yeah, it just happened all of a sudden. The same search also uncovered proof that Christensen had sold off almost two dozen acres of land for 17000 per acre in the mid-1990s, thus accounting for the large sum of money in his account at the time of his death. Despite the publicity generated by Porteus's book and the 2011 television documentary, the FBI is standing by its position that Christensen cannot be considered a prime suspect. It cites a poor match to eyewitness physical descriptions, a level of skydiving expertise, above that predicted by their suspect profile, so didn't really have the expertise to know how to do this, and an absence of direct incriminating evidence. No, I read that as they think he had a level of skydiving expertise that was above oh, yeah, what yeah, was yeah. predicted yeah. by their... Well, so fucking what? And and why do you... Did you really... Okay, Okay, I absence of direct incriminating evidence? Sure. It's time out. Time out. We're going to play a game with each suspect. I, I vote D- yes. Cooper or no Cooper? Cooper. Oh, no Cooper. No really? Ch- no chance. 
I think what is really damning to me is the height disparity. And again, it's hearsay, like I mentioned. But they did have photos, and you can. But you they can, said that he didn't match the. the I'm saying look. you can take photos. I, I'm I'm agreeing with you. Okay. You can take photos of places, and and you can look at different surrounding objects, and determine from those objects and the angle and everything how tall that person is. So, Lyle Christensen was five foot eight. Now, clearly what the FBI did was they had somebody look at those photos and say, well, okay, based on everything, every scientific thing we know about these photos, he cannot be shorter than five nine. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. I still... Now, let me say this. When you get your driver's license and they ask you how tall you are, do they actually fucking measure you? No, they take your word for it, yeah. Now, if I went in there and I said, I'm 6'2", they'd be like, really? <laughs> yeah. But I've done anything from 5'8 to 5'10, and they've never questioned it. And I really don't know. I'm probably more like 5'7", really. Yeah, you're about to... Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty... We're pretty short, but Yeah. It's, yeah. All right. So let's talk just about... Just saying. I'm just saying. No, yeah, Putting I out my s- thing. I, I, I believe that he could be. I'm not ruling him out. How about that? I'm not saying he is, but there's nothing that is telling me that he can't, he could not be the suspect. So it's got to be like DB, no DB, kind of DB. <laughs> or no Cooper, Cooper, kind of Cooper. No, we, can just do, we can just do a yay or nay. Uh, I'm going to say I, no. Okay, I say a yay on that one. You'll know my yay. Okay. And my yay. You'll know my yay. You'll know bitch. my yay. So You'll Jack, be snorting it all night. Jack Coffee. Coffelt. Coffee. Oh, I'm reading that. Okay. I think the I got capitalized. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, would you well, like to read this one or do Brian Jack Coffet was a con man and government informant that claimed to be DB Cooper. <laughs> I'm already saying no. Yeah, yeah. He this also, one's an easy no. Yeah, he also claimed to have been the chauffeur and confidant of Abraham Lincoln's. Yeah, yeah. That's why I left this one in He there. was also a fucking lollipop when he was a kid, but then he grew up into a, a pork tenderloin sandwich. So anyway. Do we need to talk about no, this No, no, it's funny. Talk okay. about it. Uh, but... Uh, he, okay, but we digress. Coffin started his claims of being Cooper around 1972. No, no, no. He, oh. You got to explain that his great grandson was Robert what? Todd Lincoln Beckwith. So he, he was related. He was to a him confidant. Somehow. No, he was a. He claimed to have been the chauffeur and confidant. Yeah, yeah. Of this dude, Robert Todd Lincoln Beckwith. Yeah. I also know the tooth theory, <laughs> but we digress. <laughs> Coffin is a big fan. Co- he sounds like him. Coffin. Oh. He so- he sounds like DB Cooper, you know, because <laughs> I was a confidant of Robert Tad Lincoln Beckwith. Surprise! I am DB Cooper, but I digress. No, every character talks like DB Cooper to make you believe that they're all DB Cooper. Right? Yeah. So he started his claims of being Cooper around 1972. He attempted through an inter- intermediary, a former cellmate named James Brown. <laughs> to sell his story that's great <laughs> to a Hollywood production company so yeah he's literally like look I'm gonna tell you this story because I'm gonna be fucking famous for this cause I'm I'm fucking D.B. Cooper man uh, James Brown immediately said um get on uh, no uh, he immediately said get on get on uh, get, get, uh, get up get, off of that thing get 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 he said get, get up off of that thing 
Um, now, please. Yes. Coffett said he landed in Mount Hood about 50 miles south southeast of Ariel, Washington. Okay. Injuring himself and losing the ransom money in the process. Photos of Coffett do bear resemblance to the drawings. Although he was in his mid fifties in nineteen seventy one, I want to talk about this age bullshit. Okay, I'm forty five. Do I look forty five? Do you really want me to answer that? No, I'm kidding. You don't look forty five. I was surprised when you said that was your age. I was born the same year Jake graduated. Uh, you know, Jake was <laughs> born the same year I graduated high school, right? Yes. Ninety four. That's ninety three. Yeah. No, I was a senior that year. Okay. When's your birthday? <laughs> What month? October. I would have been playing football when you were born. Well, there you go, buddy. I would have come into that hospital and spiked that baby. So boom! So yeah, touchdown, I, bitch! I agree with you because that is the problem. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that is the problem. Uh, there's not a lot of. Uh, I, it's all hearsay, like we we're talking mm-hmm. about. These are witness reports, so we can't really know what it, you know. What does a fifty-year-old look like? You know, granted. A 50-year-old today looks a lot different from a 50-year-old sure. in the 70s. Sure. Because you've seen pictures of, like, John Wayne at 56, and he looks like he's 80. It's because none of them and actually... And Brad Pitt at 56 looks like he's 30. Yeah, because none of them at that medis- time... Medis- medicinal uh, advances. Well, I was going to say drinking and smoking was much more widely accepted True. in public areas. True. And, yeah. But, so. yeah, plastic surgery has something to do with it. Opiates. Uh, oh boy. Oh boy. Give me some of that. Give me some of that. Coffits, uh, give us some of that. I'm not trying to make fun of anybody who. Okay. No. Although he was in his mid 50s in 1971, he was reportedly in Portland on the day of the hijacking <gasps> and sustained leg injuries around that time, which were consistent with the skydiving mishap. Oh, shit. I really think he's Cooper, man. Coffitt's account was reviewed by the FBI, which concluded that it differed in several details from information that had not been made public and was therefore a fabrication. Brown, undeterred, continued peddling the story long after Coffett died in 1975. Multiple media venues, including the CBS News program, 60 Minutes, considered it and rejected wow. it. 60 Minutes said no. That's a lot. In a 1987 <laughs> movie, Rocky IV, he finally was able to tell his story in the form of a song right before Apollo Creed gets killed. And then in a 2008 book about Lincoln's descendants... Arthur Charles Lackman revisited Coffett's tale, although it had been discredited 36 years before. Yeah. So those first two are... Seriously, Living in America? Code. Let's talk about D.B. Cooper. James Brown was D.B. Cooper? No, James Brown was James Brown. But he knew D.B. Cooper. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So those first two were not in the HBO documentary. Uh, Hand, hand! Across the nation! (laughs) This is the first one that is. Let's talk about carrying the money. Through the woods. Oh, shit. Lynn Doyle (laughs) Cooper, or L.D. Cooper, was a leather worker and a veteran of the Vietnam or the Korean War. Get those mixed up all the time. Shouldn't. Well, they're they're both stupid and shitty. But anyway, his niece, Marla Cooper, suggested that he was the prime suspect in July 2011. As an eight-year-old, she recalled Cooper and another uncle planning something, quote, very mischievous. Including the use of quote explosive walkie t- explosive <laughs> expensive walkie talkie. Come back, come back, boom! <laughs> Shit. Well, I mean, then that would be a cause for alarm. Very mischievous. That sounds deadly, Marla. Why are the walkie talkies? Why are they exploding in your hands? This is such a top secret hunting All trip. All of a sudden, we look like Jason Pierre Paul. This is such a top secret. 
hunting trip. Oh, that was funny. That we have to explode these walkie-talkies after communicating. So good luck finding each other. Yup. Yeah, that was a great way to go away the missus. From the missus. At <laughs> 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 the hospital. Okay, so, so they, they were doing something very mysterious, including the use of expensive walkie-talkies. Mm-hmm. At her grandmother's house in Sisters, Oregon, 150 miles southeast of Portland. The next day, the hijacking uh, happened. Though the uncles abstainingly were turkey hunting, and she mentions this in the documentary because they do interview her, and she talks about how she had made a joke about, like, you know, go get it, go shoot a turkey for me or whatever. I can't remember exactly what she said, but it's something to that effect. Uh, so L.D. Cooper came home wearing a bloody shirt. The result, he said, of an auto accident. Well, how, how many times? <laughs> Come on. I mean, who has Well, I mean, he went hunting. It's possible. Who hasn't that happened to? You know, it's possible to get blood on your shirt if you're hunting. I'm just saying. So later, she, especially if you're fucking Dick Cheney. Later, she said her parents came to believe that L.D. Cooper was the hijacker. Marla also mentioned that L.D. was obsessed with Canadian comic book Dan Dare. Dan Cooper. Also, Dan Dare. All that. Mm-hmm. He even had one quote one of his comic books thumbtacked to his wall end quote. In August 2011, New York Magazine published an alternative witness sketch reportedly based on a description by fi- Flight 305 eyewitness Robert Gregory, depicting the horn-rimmed sunglasses, a russet-colored suit jacket, and wide lapels, and a marcelled hair. So it's like more like parted. I guess. I don't know what they mean. It's like a wavy-looking hair, I guess. I don't know. I'm not a hair, hairdresser. The article mentioned that LD had marshaled hair, like other suspect, Dwayne Weber. Dwayne Weber is a real fun one, too. So, the FBI announced that LD's DNA from a guitar strap he made was not found. So, somehow they got a hold of a guitar strap and were like, yep, no fingerprints on here, buckle. One week later, the they... The cops all of a sudden, yeah. Yeah, they... Everybody's Jesse Ventura in this fuck world. It, fuck it. Everybody's the body. Fuck it. It's a turn of it's the fucking roll of a lifetime for him. They added that his DNA did not match the partial DNA profile obtained from the hijacker's tie, but acknowledged once again that there is no certainty that the hijacker was the source of it of the organic material obtained from the tie. The bureau has had no further comment about the case. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say no Cooper. I don't like I, I I do think that the bloody shirt or the bloody clothes is something to cause alarm but I'm going to say I, yeah. I mean, it could also been I'm going to say yeah and here's a big reason why That's um, two of the suspects. The dude's have, yes. name was Lynn. <laughs> Lynn You don't Lynn think Cooper? he wanted to go through life going I'm Dan. You don't think he called himself Dan? Well, his name was LD. That's what they called him. So I'm going to say yeah. I'm going to um, say no to this because I have one. The only thing that says no is the DNA, and that big deal. They don't even know that the DNA they have is from the guy. So, no, that doesn't – they don't have any – they have – okay, trying to prove a negative motive. is impossible, right? what right? about the motive? What would his motive be? At least with the, some of these, they, they seem like they had a motive. The one guy was just trying to make money off it, and he was right, no. I don't know. <sighs> It's hard to say. The, the L.D. Cooper one is, I think, a good argument. I think it's the least strange of these suspects. One of the, the lesser strange ones, but yeah. 
Uh, this next one, they cover her a lot in in the documentary, and mm. I'll I'll share what I thought about it. Cause it was it's probably my favorite part of the movie. Barbara Dayton, a recreational pilot and University of Washington librarian who was born Robert Dayton, served in the U.S. Merchant Marine and then the Army during World War II. After discharge, Dayton worked with explosives in the construction industry and aspired to a professional airline career, but could not obtain a commercial pilot's license. Dayton claimed to have staged the Cooper hijacking two years later dressed as a man to get back at the airline industry and the FAA, whose insurmountable rules and conditions had prevented her from becoming an airline pilot. I'm not doubting... Like <laughs> I'm not doubting that part of the story. I definitely yeah. believe they would keep a woman from being a pilot in the 1970s. Fuck yeah. Dayton said that the ransom money was hidden in... It's been proven that uh, women's menstruation makes them poor pilots. Can you tell us why? Because. Uh, <laughs> what the hell are they going to do? Get up from the plane pilot seat? Not going to happen, bucko. Uh, also, who's going to make my food when I come home? Okay, so... Barbara's story is one of the most interesting ones in the documentary because they go into the fact that she was trans and um, because they interviewed this couple that were eyewitnesses that spent the most time with her. I guess the way that she was staying with them or something. I can't remember exactly the arrangement. Uh but and the dude saw a vagina, and the <laughs> woman saw well, no, a penis. The, the, the wife knew before the man, the husband that. He, uh, she uh, was a tr- was trans, and um, it the, the how they describe her explaining that she was DB Cooper in the in the doc is great because they reenact what the couple are saying, and how it happened was they saw like an article about it, and saw the picture, and then they looked at her at Barbara and they said jokingly, they're like, hey, this kind of looks like you, and she goes. And this is where she gives the confession. And she's like, it is me. And they're like, we're like or I can't remember if she said it is me before or after they'd given her sunglasses. She puts on the sunglasses. He takes a Polaroid picture, the husband does. And it's a Polaroid. And so he's shaking it. And then he like holds it up next to the D.B. Cooper picture. And like it's super overly dramatic in the documentary. And it's like... At that point, I knew Barbara was not Cooper because mm. at that point, she waited until they said, hey, you kind of look like this. Take a, They made her put sunglasses on and take a picture. What, the, you know what she's probably thinking in her head? These fucking pricks. Well, the least I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fuck with them. I'm going to say, yes, I'm D.B. Cooper, and I did all these things. And that's like pretty much how it plays out. Because she, you know, she goes into the, the um, how she couldn't be a pilot, and this is all revenge. Mm. Really good stuff. This is really funny. Really good stuff. Good. Do- I'm uh, she died in two thousand. She died in two thousand two, and the FBI has never commented publicly on her. Yes. Who's the next guy? <sighs> Willa, Willem, William Gossett. Willem Defoe. Gossett is well, he's not featured in the doc, but I, his story is just fucking bonkers. So William <laughs> had a local radio show that was basically like coast to coast AM. Uh, I would say you know like pre hour of the time. A lot of conspiracy stuff. So he was focusing on that and the paranormal. Gossett was obsessed with grabbing news, grabbing newspaper clippings about DB. He amassed a vol- volum- 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 
voluminous. I was trying to be cute in my words. He amassed a voluminous collection of Cooper-related news articles and told one of his wives that he knew enough about the case to, quote, write the epitaph for D.B. Cooper. Well, um, no, because you would have known that it was Dan Cooper, so shut the fuck up, William Gossett, you idiot. Yeah. I'm saying no. Later, yeah. <laughs> wow. He doesn't even know the he doesn't even know the real story. Oh, so honestly, oh, no. Hold on, go, hold ahead. On, hold go ahead. On. Go ahead. Go ahead. Continue. Late in his life, he reportedly told three of his sons, a retired Utah judge and a friend in the Salt Lake City Public Defender's Office, and many people that uh, had the misfortune of peeing next to him in a stall in the bathroom. And then they told two friends, and then they, <laughs> and before you knew it, we all knew who William Gossett was. Yeah, so he said to them that he was he was DB. He committed the hijacking. Photos of Gossett taken circa 1971 bear a close resemblance to the most widely circulated Cooper composite drawing. Again, so do most white dudes. He's very generic looking. Right, and at that time, there was a very Very specific style. People, every guy wore a suit. Yeah. That's it. So Gossett once showed his sons a key to Vancouver to a Vancouver British Columbia safe deposit box, which he claimed contained the long-missing ransom money. In 1988, Gossett changed his name to Wolfgang <laughs> and became a Roman Catholic priest, which Cook and others interpret interpreted as an effort to disguise his identity. This is why I left him in. Because, like, what a fucking career change. What? He goes from doing conspiracy talk radio about, like, fucking ghosts and aliens and shit and D.B. Cooper to changing his name to Wolfgang and becoming a fucking priest. Maybe he, during his uh, whole conspiracy thing, he found evidence. And he was like... like, I'm I'm too close. He found evidence of Jesus Christ. Oh, shit. Maybe. He was like, you're going to be Catholic now. Is D.B. Cooper Jesus? Find out more at 11. (laughs) So other circumstantial evidence... (laughs) At 11? No! Nope. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in. Back to you, Tyler. Uh, so other circumstantial evidence includes testimony that Cook claims to have obtained from William Mitchell, a passenger on the hijacked aircraft, regarding a mysterious physical detail, which he... A huge cack. Common, he had, had a special special physical detail, which he, <laughs> he would not divulge common to the hijacker and Gossett. Cook also claims to have found possible links to Gossett in each of four letters signed by D.B. Cooper and mailed to three newspapers within days after the hijacking, although there was no evidence that the actual hijacker created or mailed any of the letters because, of course, they did a fucking prank, these And people. it's still D.B., you idiot. Right, it's Dan. He said he was, his name was Dan. If we, you uh, know so much about the case, you would know no, that it was... Dan Cooper, yeah. I got letters signed by Dan Cooper, and the FBI would be like, what? So the FBI had no has no direct evidence implicating Gossett and cannot even reliably place <laughs> him in the Pacific Northwest Northwest at the time of the hijacking. Quote, there is no there is not one link to DB Cooper case, said Agent Carr. He was the uh, director at the time, I believe. Sure. Other than the statements Gossett made to someone. To someone. So not Cooper, obviously. Thanks for stop shopping at Target. No problem. I'm DB Cooper. So this next guy. Have a nice day, sir. I'm DB Cooper. I heard you. Go leave, please. Hey, look, you might know me as William Gossett, but I'm really DB Cooper. <sighs> I don't often go by DB Cooper, but, but when, when I, I go by DB Cooper, <laughs> I drink Tecate. So this next guy, uh, who I think he was DB Cooper. I want to be. I, na- I want to name my kid this Richard Floyd McCoy. What a great name, right? So Floyd McCoy, I think, is DB Cooper. And you're going to find out why. 
But I really believe this that he was DB Cooper. I think it's bullshit. Let's get on with it. <laughs> they talk about him. Uh, Let's throw down. McCoy was an Army veteran well. who served two tours of duty in Vietnam, first as a demolition expert and later with the Green Berets as a helicopter pilot. And uh, they interviewed one of his closest friends for the movie, and he said that McCoy constantly talked about how easy it would be to, for him to hijack a plane, how he could hijack a pl- like He constantly talked about doing something like this. So I think that, to me, watching the documentary and doing the research, that was the first thing that pushed me into this could be a credible D.B. Cooper, I think. So, continue. Continue. Okay. Um, on April 7, 1972, McC- McCoy staged a copycat hijacking in Denver, Colorado. He boarded United Airlines Flight 855, a Boeing 727 with aft stairs, brandishing what later proved to be a paperweight resembling a hand grenade <laughs> and an unloaded handgun. He demanded four parachutes and $500,000. After delivery of the money and parachutes at San Francisco International Airport, McCoy ordered the aircraft back into the sky and bailed out over Provo, Utah, leaving beha- behind his handwritten hijacking instructions and his fingerprints on a magazine he had been reading. Now... Does it say that the hijacking was done at night like D.B. Cooper's? Because I got to be honest, if he did it during the daytime, Cooper, uh, McCoy, the military planes flying after him would have just shot him out of the fucking sky. Yeah. Um, well, so I, I got to believe it was at night, too. They don't specify when he successfully landed in uh, Utah uh, with that hijacking, at least what I could find. Um, so I don't know about that. But, I mean, given that he has the expertise of being in the military, has the expertise of flying the planes, how he knows how to do it, and the fact that he repeatedly said to his buddy that I know how to do this and I could do this a bunch of times, I think that is what leads me down that direction. And you're right. If it was during the day, he would have been shot out of the sky. Yeah, yeah, they would have been like, uh, you know what, we'll get the money later. Yeah. Later, a handwriting expert compared the note found on the plane with McCoy's writing on a military service record and determined that McCoy had written the note. He was arrested on April 9th and with the ransom cash in his possession, and he was later convicted to 45 years in prison. So here's what's crazy. but th- This isn't crazy. because more <laughs> This isn't crazy. This, this is crazy. Like, uh, in the documentary, his buddy talks about it. He had the $500,000 in his attic. Well. I almost thought you said ass, and I was like, wow. Almost $500,000. It was missing a 20 because he had to buy himself lunch. But like. <laughs> he was t- saying that he was going to. Ha- he told his friend that he was serious about him, and he was going to give him the money. And his friend was like, "I wish I'd known about that." Like he jokingly said, "Like I wish I would have known sooner, so I could have got the money." But yeah, th- this McCoy situation gets crazy. He was yeah. He was later convicted to forty five years in prison. McCoy would escape two years later from Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary, penitentiary with several accomplices by crashing a garbage truck through the main gate. He would continue to break out of two other prisons before a shootout with the FBI. So imagine that. First prison, he, he tries to break out. They catch him like, all right, we're going to a higher security prison. Breaks out of that prison. And then the third time he breaks out, he just says, fuck it. And then by, and if then I have to die, I'm going to die. I'm and then by the fourth to- time, the jailers had seen the prestige, and they were like, you got a twin brother. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen that, I'm really sorry. You should put a thing in like. No, fuck them. The movie's been out for how long? I know, but it's not. In their 1991 book, D.B. Cooper, The Real McCoy, parole officer Bernie Rhodes and former FBI agent... (laughs) Ragent? Ragent? I'm an FBI agent! I was going to Scooby-Doo. Oh. 
Rumble Raggy. Russell Raggy. Wow, that's pretty good. G Scoob. Russell. You do Scooby, I'll do. Oh. Ruh-roh. I just shit in his head. Gee, Scooby, ever notice that Daphne has the sweetest ass? I'm a fucking mom. Uh, Russell Colome asserted that they had identified McCoy as Cooper. Um, Him and um, uh, parole officer. They cited obvious... Yeah, Bernie Bernie Rhodes, we'll get into him in a minute. Uh, He's... was interviewed for the documentary, and I'll explain why I think more McCoy did it. They cited obvious similarities in the two hijackings. Claims by McCoy's family that the tie and mother of pearl tie clip left on the plane belonged to McCoy, and McCoy's own refusal to admit or deny that he was Cooper. A proponent of their theory was FBI agent who killed McCoy. When I shot Richard McCoy, he said, I shot D.B. Cooper at the same time. Still getting the name wrong! (laughs) Well, I mean, that's what everybody knows. Uh Anyway, so... And the in the movie, they make a big deal because they interview this guy uh, that wrote the book, um, D.B. Cooper and the FBI, or I think he might have wrote Dan Cooper and the FBI. But he was a guy that wrote a book and has extensive knowledge about this stuff in this whole case. And he was explaining that like, I can't get a hold of Bernie Rhodes. I can't. He won't talk to me. And then the next scene is they actually get him in a hotel room to talk to him. And. Um, the way he was describing the interrogation was he they were trying to get it out of him to say if he was Dan Cooper or not, right? And by doing that, he presents a picture. And McCoy, in my my view, looks the most like D.B. Cooper. And if you could see the, the drawing, maybe I'll post it on our social media. Uh, if you see the drawing in the picture of McCoy, I feel like that is the, the closest you could get. And I think that... McCoy is like that. And when he was presented with the picture, he didn't say anything. He ca- he, would, he looked at him very angrily, but he didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't touch the picture. He wouldn't look. like It, it, it looked like to him, to, to Rhodes, that he, was in, he wasn't confessing, but it seemed like for him, it was without a reasonable doubt that this guy was Dan Cooper. And I, I think that he is the most like Dan Cooper in the terms of, he had he has military expertise. He had talked about it multiple times. He had jumped into battle. He successfully stole a plane, and then well, then not necessarily successfully because he got caught. But he was able to obtain the money and get back home to put it in his fucking attic. So I'd say for the most part, <laughs> that's like eighty five percent successful. I, I just feel like he is, I feel like he's D.B. Cooper. I think Dan Cooper. I think. Well, that let's read the last paragraph there, jackass. All right. <laughs> Plus, Floyd McCoy is a cool-ass name. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend yeah, it is. It's pretty it. cool. Um, although, it sounds like a comic book name. Although there is reasonable doubt that McCoy committed the Denver hijacking, the FBI does not consider him a suspect in the Cooper case because of mismatches in age and description. A level of skydiving skill well above that to be possess- thought to be possessed by the skyjacker. Are you kidding me? And credible evidence that McCoy was in Las Vegas on the day of the Portland hijacking and at home in Utah the day after having Thanksgiving dinner with his family. Now, I don't care who you are. If you actually took a jump like that, you wouldn't just be having Thanksgiving dinner the next day with nothing wrong. I don't know, man. I feel like that interrogation I don't know, I don't and know what everything. Credible evidence is. I don't know. It's hard to say. It could be because we fucking said so. 
<laughs> maybe. Maybe. It's very possible. Well, uh, that is where we're going to end this show. No. I, I We're going to talk about uh, news radio and how <laughs> uh, you got to watch that. It's on. I, I don't know where you can find it, but it's in season five. It's a three-episode arc. Please watch it. The actual reveal of who D.B. Cooper really is is awesome. Yeah. I won't tell you. You won't spoil it. No. Check it out. No. So who do you think? I'd say probably uh, that Kenneth guy. Really? Yeah. He he didn't buy a house with that money though. You know? So he, maybe he was smart enough to like put it somewhere. He and did, but he sold. Out but he sold all that land to make all that money. What that means? <laughs> well, who do you think it was? Do you think? Well, first of all, do you think? I already told you. Oh no, I was gonna ask the listener. I was gonna say, do you think Dan uh, DB Cooper, Dan Cooper, survived the jump? And we just never found him. Do you think he died in the woods? Do you think that, you know, one of these suspects... I believe he died in the jump, honestly. One of these suspects is 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 D.B. Cooper. We don't know. And that is why it's such a fun story to talk about. Because we don't really know. And I don't think we'll ever find out. I don't. I really don't. It's, it's a bizarre case. But uh, for me, all signs point to Floyd McCoy, personally. Incidentally, uh, D.B. stands for drama bubble. Whoa. Wow. Drama Bubble Cooper. I thought you were say Double Bubble. Double Bubble Cooper. <laughs> double Bubble. Hey Cooper. man, that's my nickname, Double Bubble. But everybody just calls me DB. <laughs> yeah, I'm here to say, it sounds like a fucking uh, when uh, when schoolhouse rock when the, character. When the kids were younger, um, we were at a gas station somewhere, and they had um, I always look at like snacks and shit, and there was a a, a package of um, Hubba Bubba bubble gum. And it was flavored Dr. Pepper. And yeah. I I said, I said, Dr. Pepper, ha ba ba ba. And that became a thing between me and the kids for a couple of months. Well, uh, that's a day. lame way to end the show. But Shut up! <laughs> you fucking asshole. So whether it's Dan Cooper, Wow, Jimmy that was Cooper, harsh, sorry. Double Bubble Cooper. Double uh, Bubble, bitch. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Tinfall Radio. You can follow us on Twitter at tinfoil underscore radio. You can like us on Facebook, tinfoil radio. Or not like us. Hey, yeah, whatever. As long as you go on to Twitter. Tpublic.com, search tinfoil radio. That's where you can get us. As long merch. as you react. Hey, if you want to throw us a couple bucks, you can. Patreon.com slash tinfoil radio. And if you want to support us, please listen to our music, The Amazing T-Bird. Cash fucking my... Oh, me. Yeah. yeah. Hey. The, the, we'll have the link to his album, in the description as you can also always. check out my music metahuman on spotify i'll have the link in the description as well thank you so much and remember if you're listening to this transmission we're already dead we jumped we, we jumped we're dead buckle we're double bubble oh, hey i didn't die but my my leg is broken now ah, yeah. what is my problem